If you would turn with me, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Two weeks ago, Doug talked about what are spiritual disciplines, and then last week, Ryan came and shared about prayer, and he actually started looking at an earlier portion of Matthew chapter 6. So I'm actually going to pick up, conveniently enough, right where he left off, um, looking at verses 16 to 18. So, Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who, is, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Um, so just to get you caught up to speed, if you're visiting, if you've been away for a little bit, talking about uh, spiritual disciplines, and different people are coming and sharing, as you've heard. This week, I have the distinct honor of speaking about fasting. Or, as I would more appropriately put it, fasting? Really? That I'm the one who talks about fasting? Um, I don't know about you all. I like my food. Uh, I eat breakfast. Then usually by about 10 a.m. I get hungry. Um, Sometimes if I don't eat enough food on a regular basis, I encounter a, a, a verified medical condition called hangry, where you're both hungry and angry. Um, I enjoy eating. So this idea of not eating food is not something that just naturally thinks, oh yeah, obviously this will be a great thing, obviously. I don't know about you all, but in my own uh, church background, I, I grew up going to church, we did not talk about fasting really at all. It really wasn't until I was in college that I even realized this is a practical thing that people can actually be doing. This isn't this sort of super spiritual sort of activity. Um, and really, I think it, it, it's interesting because if you look at history of humanity, fasting was a common practice for a lot of ancient people and a lot of people really up until the past couple hundred years. That if you look at the ancient Jews, the early Christians, and a lot of other religious groups, fasting was a, a common practice, a common part of their life. And it's interesting that just even as we look at cultural trends, one of the big trends in our culture and society is towards comfort. We like things that are quick, that are easy, that are easy to get around. One exhibit of that are Hot Pockets. Everybody knows you should never put this in your body, but it's ready in two minutes. So, of course, this is, no one can say anything beautifully verifiable of what, the, the, the benefits of Hot Pockets other than it's ready in two minutes. But it's that same sort of idea. I know everybody's thinking, Hot Pockets, if you've seen the, the sketch. Um, but the idea of it's easy. And in many ways, it's, it's something, fasting, something as basic as fasting is, is hard, but very good, and in very co- countercultural in that way. And I know for myself, one thing I've been learning is sometimes the, the most significant and meaningful lessons in life are also some of the hardest, and some of the best things in life are also some of the hardest. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Day. This is somebody who chose a very hard road, that it would have been much easier for him to not speak out about the oppressions and the injustices that were happening at that time. It eventually cost him his life. But by choosing that hard road, there were a lot of benefits, a lot of good things that came from that. So fasting is really, 
It's a stretching and hard, but it's a great way for God to pull us closer together. Where something just even as basic as physical hunger can bring us closer to God. So we're going to look at three things here tonight. What, why, and how. What is fasting? Why do we fast? And how do we fast? So looking, first of all, at the what. Quite simply, fasting, no food. Easy as that. Um, it's interesting when you look at the passage in Matthew chapter 16 verses 18 he starts talking when you fast do not look somber he doesn't stop and tell the the disciples okay well hey do you guys know what fasting is let me explain it to you It, it was a common part of their life it was a common practice and so for us I think it's something for us we need to stop and take a look and see what it is. But it was so common as praying and as spending money. And that's where this passage that we're looking at is sandwiched in on the Sermon on the Mount. It's right following the passage talking about prayer. And it's followed by the passage looking at um, where your treasure is. And I, I don't think it's just coincidental that Sometimes it's more convenient for us to look at those other passages, but not look at fasting and discuss it. And it, it, so the idea of fasting being not eating food was, was a common understanding for the ancient Jews. For us, I think it's, it's not as common. Where, where for them, it would have been no food. So they really would have only drank water, would have been the, that common practice of that time. Oftentimes, We'll talk about, oh, well, I'm fasting from Facebook. I'm fasting from chocolate, these sorts of things. Those are great things that maybe, hey, if I feel like, ah, I need to get rid of this in my life or I need to take a little breather, those are great things. But that's not actually fasting. It's sort of abstaining from something. Great, wonderful. There can be spiritual and social and emotional, all sorts of different benefits to that. But it's not really fasting as was commonly practiced throughout Scripture. Really, when you see, look at Scripture, it's the, the idea of fasting is littered throughout. And really, almost in all situations, it's this idea of not eating food. There was something called some, the idea of a partial fast. So in Daniel 10 verses 3, he says, uh, I ate no, or Daniel says, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. And that was for a period of 21 days. And so the idea is that when Daniel fasted, he probably fasted without eating food most of the time. But this particular time, he chose to not eat meat, wine, uh, delicacies, things of that nature for that, that 21 day period. So sometimes it could be useful to participate in a, in a partial fast. But I think it's interesting that just even a basic fast is something that is very basic, that anybody can do it because you eat food on a regular basis, that unless there's certain medical conditions, unless you're a pregnant or nursing mother, or, you know, those, there's certain rare exceptions, but it's really something very basic that we can be doing. In Scripture, the idea of a fast often accompanies prayer. And so these two things are, are paired together. In Psalms 35, verses 13 and 14, it says, Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. When my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. And so it, it's really this, this pairing of fasting, the practice, and prayer. It's, it's, it's a spiritual piece. And Ezra talks about, puts it well, in terms of this idea of humbling yourself before God. That it's one thing to just not eat food. 
great. But it's, it's more than, it's the, uh, the practice within it that is the key piece. So he says, I proclaim to fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. And the idea of humbling yourself before God, that that's key. That, and we'll get into that a little bit more, that if that component isn't there, it can be a very superficial sort of activity. And that's something Jesus in, in, in the Gospels really oftentimes he speaks about how not to fast because so many people were using it as a sort of religious elitist sort of activity as opposed to this is a, just a common great way for us to connect with God. Um, and it, it really, he debunks this idea that it's for the super religious and, and points out some of the hypocrisy that we'll get into here. And even the idea of fasting was a common, common practice in the early church, even up until the past couple of hundred years. In 1756, King George II, who was king of Great Britain at the time, called for a national day of solemn prayer and fasting to threaten French invasion. If your 18th century French and British history is not quite up to what you might think it should be, um, I'm pleased to report that France did not invade. Um, but that idea of calling for a, a corporate fast was, was one that was common in different sorts of situations. And so you kind of get to this point of, okay, well, is fasting a commandment? Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6, when you fast. So he doesn't say if you fast, if you care to fast. He doesn't say give people the option of, oh, well, if you really feel like it. But at the same time, he also doesn't say you must fast. And I think there's, there's a, a, a significant line there between it's, it's not a commandment. It's not something that we've been commanded to do. But we have the freedom to do it. We have the freedom and the opportunity. Uh, we're not commanded to brush our teeth, but it's a good thing. It's a good idea. And we, we lose the point when we say this is something you have to do. And that's something that Jesus spoke very clearly about is that if we're doing this as a purely a religious exercise to show how wonderful and spiritual we are, we entirely miss the point that this is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves before God. So we looked at the what, the why. Why would somebody fast? A couple of weeks ago when Doug was talking, he mentioned growing up in Texas playing football. Growing up, I was the unathletic kid with asthma who always got picked last in gym class. But I discovered later on in life that, well, I could kind of run. And running was just basically putting one foot in front of the other. And as long as I could keep doing that, even if I was going slowly, I could, could work at it. And this sort of the, thus far, the pinnacle moment of my running career culminated in the Tough Mudder. Um, a couple of you may have heard of me mention this before, but did this 11.1 mile run where we went crawled under barbed wire, ran through electric wires. It was this great, wonderful experience. Um, and I did it with a group of, there was eight of us all together, and we would go for training runs at different points in time. And at one point, we'd been running sort of longer runs on pavement. We said, okay, well, let's do a trail run because it'll be more like the Tough Mudder. And we did the Tough Mudder in April. This was in Pennsylvania, so our training runs were in March and February and things like that. So it was a March weekend. We were going to go for a long run on a trail, and it was cold, like really cold. And it was rainy cold, and then as we're running, it turned into snow, rain, slushy cold. And we were running, and partway through, we got misdirected. 
And um, one of the guys we were running with, when he runs, he gets gas. And this was just this really kind of like agonizing, long, painful experience. And it actually was one of my favorite runs. That There was that camaraderie in, okay, well, this really is long and painful, but we were, we were able to share in that together. And it stretched me physically, and it was a great opportunity, and it prepared us for that event. And it was a, a very hard, challenging thing, but it was a great thing, and it was a lot of fun at the same time. And I think we realized that it was hard, but there was a reward. And I think similarly, Jesus actually talks about that similarly, of that God will reward us, that fasting is hard, but there's a great reward. And so there's a lot of reasons that you could attribute to fasting. Um, you can save money because you're not eating food. You can lose weight. You can develop personal discipline. Maybe you save on dishes you need to watch. Like there, wash. There's, there's lots of things that people could say, oh, well, those are great reasons to fast. And all of those are completely missing the point and pretty much awful reasons if we, if we don't understand sort of what the why of what we're doing. Um, the Bible gives us actually lots of reasons not to fast. In Isaiah chapter 58, we're going to look at uh, verses 3 to 9 here. It says, Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and yet you've not noticed? Yet on on your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fasting I have, fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Really, when we're talking about fasting, it's a, it's a physical sort of activity, but it really is a whole body surrender to God that we're, we're recognizing even more than food, which is a, the most basic of essential items in, to live, that we are desperate and dependent on God even more than we are for food. In the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector um, in Luke 18, um, looking at verses 10 to 14, but starting in verse 9, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulteries, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to, he up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than, though, than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. So why, why fast? Really, the 
the, the crux of it. The whole purpose behind it is to humble ourselves before God, uh, is not to be proud. Be, and, and that's a, a really a, a caution that very often our, our fasting can be something that we say, well, look at me, look what I'm doing, look how spiritual I am. And even if we're not doing it publicly, perhaps even in our relationship with God, if we think, oh, well, I'm fasting, I've got this covered, taken care of, now God, you make everything go smoothly. If we don't recognize that we are utterly desperate for God's mercy, that if we don't say like this tax collector, God have mercy on me, a sinner, and our fasting can be a practice and a way of doing that, we're, we're missing the mark. Additionally, it's, it's not about manipulating God into giving us what we want. That sometimes we have this idea of something happens, so I will fast and pray, and God will give me what I want. Uh, fasting and praying is a great practice, but if we are not recognizing that God is the giver of mercy from that, that we can, we can turn it into a, a way that we think we can manipulate God. And, and eventually, I think fasting can definitely become an idol, that it's this thing that we can do and we can feel all great about our, our activity, whether it's fasting, whether it's praying, whether it's worship, that this, this activity by itself, we feel great about it, and we're missing who that activity is, is directed towards. Richard Foster, which if, you, if you're interested in learning about spiritual disciplines, he wrote a terrific book called Celebration of Discipline. He said that fasting must forever be centered on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. Like the prophetess Anna, we need to be worshiping with fasting. And then John Piper, he wrote in his book, A Hunger for God, Desiring God Through Fasting and Prayer, said, the members of the early church were hungry enough for God's leading that they wanted to say it with the hunger of their bodies and not just the hunger of their hearts. And then Scott McKnight, in his book, Fasting, appropriately named, said, fasting is a person's whole body natural response to life's sacred moments. So it's a recognition of our dependence on God that we absolutely need God to sustain us more than the stuff in our lives, more than friendships, more than even food. And if we look, still talking about why do we fast, if we look and in, in Matthew 6 verses 18, at the end of the passage it says, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And lest we think this is any sort of financial rewards, um, this is immediately followed by where he talks about where you place your treasure. That this is not a, a financial reward, I think we could pretty safely say, but a, a spiritual reward and a depth of relationship. That uh, this is truly, the, if we're recognizing that God is the ruler of the universe, then the best thing that we could have is to know him and to be closer to him. Foster, as well, in his book, Celebration of Discipline, has a, has a really neat quote that talks about sort of this idea of secondary benefits. So not this primary benefit of, of humbling ourselves before God and, and listening to him, but other things that can be beneficial as well. And he says, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and other good things, but in fasting, these things surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. David writes, I humbled my soul with fasting in Psalm 69.10. Anger, bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger, but then we will realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. 
We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. So not so much abstaining from food as we are feasting on the word of God. Fasting is feasting. And so the question I I find myself asking, if I'm being completely honest, is do I really believe God is the almighty ruler of the universe? Like, do I really believe God is who he says he is? Because if so, then something as basic as forgoing a meal to know him better would seem like a pretty small sacrifice. And am I prepared to go against the culture of comfort that surrounds us in order to know God more. The the idea that I've come across before is just even this idea of cheap grace, that is it, do we like the grace that's easy and convenient and in the process completely miss out on the greater offerings that God has offered to us? And I say this not as a a guilt trip, um, but as a question I'm honestly asking myself, that recognizing that who God is And recognizing that I'm a wretched sinner that needs his mercy completely uh, transforms and changes lives. And that fasting is is a gift that God has given to us to know him more. So we've looked at what, we've looked at why, and we've looked at now how. Doug talked about spiritual disciplines as being more proactive than reactive. That if your marriage is on the rocks, praying is a wonderful response, great response. But we should be praying long before our marriage is on the rocks. That fasting is less about fixing life's issues at specific moments, but rather clinging to God at all times and God using that time to refine us. So there's, in terms of how to fast, Jesus is pretty clear about not to do it for the purpose of drawing attention to ourselves. We don't want to be looking for people to admire us. Sometimes that can make for awkward conversations of when do you share it, when do you say it, when do you not. Um, And sometimes I think it can be helpful to be actually able to share it um, because maybe there's things that you're learning that other people can be benefiting from and learning as well. So I don't think we have to be afraid of talking about it, but not to do it for the purpose of getting recognition. Uh, there's a, a, in the book Celebration Discipline, Foster pulls another text from another book where he talks about a guy who wrote down his experiences. He, was, he fasted one day a week for two years, and he started writing out his experiences. And so there's six kind of excerpts from his experiences. So the first one is, I felt it was a great accomplishment to go a whole day without food. Congratulated myself on the fact that I found it so easy. The second was that he began to see that the above was hardly the goal of fasting, was helped in this by beginning to feel hunger. Began to relate the food fast to other areas of my life where I was more compulsive. I did not have to have a seat on the bus to be contented or to be in the cool in the summer or warm when it was cold. I reflected more on Christ's suffering and the suffering of those who are hungry and have hungry babies. Uh, six months after beginning the fast discipline, I began to see why a two-year period has been suggested. The experience changes along the way. Hunger on fast days became acute and the temptation to eat stronger. For the first time, I was using the day to, be, to find God's will for my life. I began to think about what it meant to surrender one's life. I now know that prayer and fasting must be intricately bound together. There is no other way, and yet that way is not yet combined in me. So seeing this, I think it's neat that we're able to learn from this person's experiences about fasting, and it's a great opportunity to share it. 
I find this simultaneously very hopeful and very deflating because he, seeing what he's learning through that process and then realizing how far he is from it. But I do believe that's a gift to realize how far we are from God and recognizing how dependent that we are on him. So practically speaking, how can we be fasting? Uh, one idea is to start after lunch one day and go to lunch the next day. So you're going 24 hours, but you're would basically not eat breakfast and then dinner. And then if you're sort of comfortable in that sort of area, you could move on to a whole day. So breakfast, lunch, dinner on one specific day. Um, then there's ideas of being able to fast for three days or more days, four days. There's, there's times where people will fast up to 40 days. Uh, and the idea is this isn't, again, this isn't about, okay, well, this is this great thing that I've accomplished. It's about listening to God, that asking what he's calling you into, especially these longer term sorts of things that you want to make sure you're aware of some of the, like the physical implications of that, that that can be very challenging, but doesn't mean it's a bad thing. But again, it's the idea of not just having this practice for the sake of doing the practice, but for connecting to God. There's other ideas of fast. So we mentioned the partial fast, so where you would abstain from certain food items um, or the idea of abstaining from certain activities or whatever. These aren't necessarily how fasting was described in the Bible in certain contexts, but it can still be a very useful, practical practice. As well, a corporate fast. That this is something we, we oftentimes talk about, okay, well, fasting is between you and God, which is absolutely true. Um, but we can also share in this experience um, where there's been times where corporate fasts were very common amongst the early church. And that's something actually that Doug and Josh have talked about, about, okay, well, what if we as people, for whoever wanted to participate in it, were to, to have a, a sort of corporate fast and to be able to encourage each other in that. So, as of about an hour ago, talking to Doug, for anybody who is interested for next Sunday, being able to share in a sort of corporate fast. So to not eat meals leading up to this service, and then we can go get food afterwards and, and share in that. Again, this isn't the pressure. This isn't to make you look spiritual. This is something that, hey, this is practically something that we can be doing to be encouraging each other and to share in this sort of experience. And then even the idea of uh, with when the Tuesday dinners were happening, right now they're not happening because of a baby. Um, but even being able to, to fast leading up to those times for people who wanted to, to, to be able to share in that sort of experience. And, and really, I feel like this has been an interesting experience for me in being able to share this and, and reflect on some of my past experiences of on fasting and, and look at look at them a lot more in depth. And I feel like I've grown a lot in terms of my own experiences. And I hope that this is sort of a, a spark as a, a practical sort of exercise and activity that we can be doing together individually to really be growing closer to God. Um, that we are, we're, we are the church. We are a community of people um, we are the body of Christ that we get to share in life together and share in an understanding of who God is and wanting to be hungry for God together. Just on a practical piece, something that has been thrown out there of after this time together, for anybody who's interested, we can all head to Chipotle. I know this goes right in the face of fasting, but, <laughs> um, but just even to go to Chipotle, hang out, 
and, and be able to ask the questions of, okay, so what and who cares? So we just talked about this, so what, who cares? How does this actually apply to our lives? And I know it's the day off tomorrow, so hopefully people with kids are able to come too. But just even to be able to share in, in experiencing um, life together. And really in, in this whole piece of fasting, it's, it's looking at creating f- fertile soil for God to work and to speak in our lives. Um, for us to humble ourselves before God and to, to recognize our utter need for him. We're, we're going to take communion in just a couple minutes here, but we're going to give you just a minute in between this and communion to just pause and take a second and, and pray and listen to God um, and ask if maybe there's ways where fasting makes sense, um, can be integrated into your life, or if maybe there's ways that you can um, be working on other aspects or other things that God is doing to, to point out areas in your own life.